You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, we'd like to draw your attention to verses 22 through 38. Matthew 14, 22 through 38. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the middle of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him, Walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, bid me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come on. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. It had been a very hard day. It began with the news that had come to them that John the Baptist had been beheaded by Herod. Jesus suggested then to the disciples that they go over to the other side of the sea in the ship. Mark tells us that he had suggested that they go over there just to spend some time rather resting and relaxing as they were dealing with this troubling news of the horrible death of John the Baptist. But when they arrived at the other side of the sea, they found a crowd of people were waiting for them. For as they left, the people watched the direction that the ship was going. And they could tell where they were going to be landing. And so they ran around. And a great multitude were waiting there on the shore. And Jesus was moved with compassion And he ministered to them and he spent the day healing the sick 
and ministering God's love. In the evening or late afternoon, the disciples said, Lord, tell them to go home. And Jesus said, well, we need to feed them first. They've been here all day and and, and they are no doubt famished and, and weak. We better feed them first. And they said, Lord, how can we feed them? We don't have anything. He said, well, what do you have? They said, well, there's a little boy here with five loaves and two fish. But what's that with a crowd like this? Jesus said, have them sit down in companies of 50 on the ground. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And he blessed them and broke them. And said to the disciples, distribute these among the people. And they distributed and they all ate and According to the Greek, they were glutted. They ate until they were glutted. And then Jesus said to the disciples, Gather up now the fragments that remain. And they gathered 12 baskets of fragments that were left over. Now the people were sent away. And Jesus has dispatched the disciples in the ship to go over to the other side, to Gennesaret. He needed time alone with the Father. John the Baptist, the one who God had sent to prepare the way, the forerunner of the Messiah, has been beheaded by Herod. It's the foreshadowing of the death of Jesus that is going to come. And so he remained there alone to pray. In the meantime, a storm had arisen. The disciples were trying to row against the wind and against the storm to go over to the other side. They had been rowing all night long and were only now in the middle of the sea. Great waves, heavy winds. They weren't making much progress. It's now sometime after three o'clock in the morning when suddenly they see a figure walking towards them on the water. They're terrified. They think it must be a ghost. They cry out. But Jesus answers, don't be afraid. It's only me. Peter said, Lord, if it is you, then bid me to come to you. And Jesus said, come on. And we see Peter getting out of the ship and walking on the water. I love people who are willing to take a venture of faith to step out. Throughout the Bible, we see men who were willing to take a venture in faith. Abraham was called by God to leave his family, his homeland, to journey to a place that he did not know. That God would later give to his descendants 
as an inheritance. And so by faith, Abraham left the land of Haran. And he journeyed not knowing where he was going, stepping out in faith. It was a venture in faith, trusting God to lead him to that place that God would later give to his descendants. David, when he was walking up the hill from that little brook, Elah, with five smooth round stones to face that giant Goliath, that's a venture in faith. I love it. Men who have that kind of trust in God, who are willing to just step out in faith. When the giant said to David, am I a dog that you would send a child out to fight me? To David he said, go home little boy or I'll chop you up and feed you to the birds. And David said, you come against me with a sword and a spear, but I come against you in the name of the living God that you have defied. And I'll chop you and your whole army up and feed you to the birds. Venturing in faith. I love it. When Jonathan... woke up his armor bearer. When the Philistines were greatly outnumbering them and had much stronger armament, most of the army had deserted. And Jonathan was thinking, you know, God doesn't need a whole army to do his work. All he needs is one man in harmony with God. And God can work through one man just as easily as he can a whole army. And if God wants to wipe out those Philistines, he doesn't need a whole army. All he needs is one man. I wonder if God wants to wipe out those Philistines. Only one way to find out. Go over and see. And so he woke up his armor bearer, and the two of them went against the army of the Philistines. A venture in faith. Maybe God wants to work. Maybe God wants to do something. Let's step out and find out. And I love those men who are willing to take a venture in faith. Now, some may say, oh, oh, there goes Peter, you know, impetuous Peter, Stepping out of the boat. Oh, no. There he goes again. Peter on the way to another failure. But you show me a man who has never failed, and I will show you a man who has never accomplished anything. My small grandson was with his father in the car this week. He had shorts on and he was showing his dad all of the bruises and the scratches and all that were on his legs. And as his dad began to remark about all of those cuts and scratches and bruises, my little grandson said, well, dad, I'm still going to go out and play and I'm still going to climb the trees and ride my bike because, dad, if you don't take some risk in life, life isn't worth living.
You know, you got to step out. You've got to take a step in faith. I admire Peter for at least... He had some success even though it was short-lived. He started to walk on the water. I love it. That's more than you can say for the rest of the disciples that stayed in the ship. Notice verse 29 said, And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water. He was doing it. Walking on the water. Going for it. Love it. But then we read, When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. So from a great victory to quite a defeat. (laughs) From walking on the water to sinking in the water. And you know, it's interesting that oftentimes our greatest defeats come after, right after, immediately after our greatest victories. You remember how Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. And as he was transfigured before them, his raiment shining and all, Moses and Elijah appearing and talking to him. Peter said, Lord, it's It's great for us to be here. Let's build three tabernacles. Let's just stay right here. But Jesus said, no, we've got to go down the hill. And they went on down, and at the bottom of the hill, there was a distressed father because of his son who was possessed by an evil spirit that was trying to destroy his son. He came to Jesus Asking Jesus for help, he said, I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't do anything. There at the bottom of the hill, Satan was waiting to attack. And I have found that every mountain experience that I've had with the Lord, you know, and and they are glorious. You, You have those mountaintop kind of experiences where it seems like the Lord is just revealing himself to you in such a glorious, wonderful way. And you're so high. But I have found at the bottom of every mount, Satan seems to be waiting to destroy the victory, the joy, the blessing that you've just received. Just after Elijah had his contest with the prophets of Baal. And God had sent the fire, consumed the sacrifice and even the altar itself. And the people in amazement bowed down and they began to cry, Jehovah is God, Jehovah is God. A moment of great victory. Seizing the moment, Elijah put to death the 400 prophets of Baal. God had manifested himself in a powerful and convincing way. But then the very next day, 
Elijah got a message from that wicked queen Jezebel who happened to be away at that time. And she said, God, do more to me if I don't get your head. And Elijah began to run from Jezebel. And he was so discouraged and despondent that he even asked the Lord to take his life. Lord, let me die. From this tremendous victory, the manifestation of God's power and presence to this great depression and despondency, God, let me die. Right after Samson had killed the thousand Philistines with the jawbone of the donkey, he thought he was going to die of thirst. He was despairing of life because he was so thirsty. And Peter began to sink. But at least he knew who to call on when he was going down. Lord, save me. We all of us come to those times in life when we're sinking. When we are faced with forces that are beyond our capability of managing. Situations over which I do not have control. Times when we seem to be sinking. The question is, where do you turn when you get to that place where you need help? It's beyond you. It's beyond your control. You're going under. Where do you reach for help when you have reached your limits? Some people reach for the bottle, bottle of pills or bottle of alcohol, and they try to just erase it out of their minds, take the worry and the concern away. There are others who even will reach for a gun. They think it's no use. I can't cope. I can't manage. I'm going under. I have no powers. I'm going to sink. The pressure and strain of life becomes so great that you realize I can't cope anymore. I, I don't have any more coping power. I'm going under. When you feel yourself going down with Peter, you need to cry, Oh Lord, save me. And look what happened. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. I love it. He didn't lecture him. He didn't say, Well, come on. Now. He didn't rebuke him. He just reached out his hand. Grabbed him. He may lecture him later, but he's going to keep him from going down first. And the help was there. 
And you know, that's the glorious thing about the Lord. When you cry out for help, he's always there. Reaching out his hand, grabbing hold, lifting you up. Saving you from that peril. Oh, how wonderful it is that we can call upon the Lord. He said, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will hear you, I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things. Look how close his help was. Just as close as his voice. Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 10 said, don't say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the deeps, that is to bring Christ back from the dead. But what does it say? The word, Paul said, is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. For if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How close are you to salvation? Just as close as, as your cry of your mouth. Just as close as your heart. The moment you turn your heart over to him, the minute you call to him, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, in that very moment, he'll stretch out his hand and take hold of you and lift you out of that quagmire of sin. And he'll set you free. He'll deliver you. Help and deliverance is very close to you. You may feel that you're sinking. You may feel you're going under. You may feel that there is no hope. But let me tell you something. Help is very near. Very close. All you have to do call out to the Lord he'll help you and he'll deliver you he'll keep you from sinking but then having saved Peter as they got into the ship immediately the storm was calm and not only that they were at the other side they found themselves right at the other side but Jesus then wanted to teach Peter some important lessons. And thus he began to talk to Peter. He said unto him, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? That's the issue. Why did you doubt? Now you started off well. You started off walking on the water. You were off to a good start, Peter. Why did you doubt? Now, again, the scriptures don't give us tone of voice. But in my own mind, I sort of picture Jesus as chuckling a bit when he said, 
What happened, Peter? Why did you doubt, you know? I mean, Peter's all soaking wet. And, and, and I can just see Jesus just sort of chuckling as he, as he deals with his failure. How come you doubted, Peter? I don't see this as a rebuke at all. I believe that the question was designed for instruction. I think he is asking Peter to analyze the situation in order that he might gain in the future. Analyze it, Peter. Why did you doubt? And we read that he doubted because he saw the boisterous wind. You see, what happened to Peter was that he got his eyes off of Jesus and onto that wave that was coming towards him with the white cap being blown by the wind and the spray blowing by the wind. And when he saw that, fear entered his heart. I can remember the first time I learned to water ski. Holding on behind the boat. And then I thought, well, I'm going to venture out over the wake. And as I came to the wake, I thought, ooh, what am I doing? And I went in. I I was sort of a a little afraid, hesitant. And, you know, you never really know exactly what you did wrong when you fall water skiing, but all you know is you're in the water suddenly. But it was was a thing in my mind. I was psyched out by, by this wake. But you know, after you get used to it, then you challenge the wakes. I mean, they're the fun part. They're the things that you hit and leap and so forth. But the first time I can still remember my, my feeling of fear when I thought, ooh, I'm on the wake, you know, and boom. And, and so with Peter, suddenly he, he came aware of, ooh, I'm, I'm on the water, and ooh, look at that wave, you know, and fear and he began to sink what a lesson it is for us looking at Jesus he was successfully walking on the water looking at the difficulty he began to sink I have discovered that the more I look at my problems the bigger they grow until they are so big they are almost insurmountable. Problems grow by observation, by analysis. The more I analyze the situation, the more I look at it, man, the more impossible it's become. Problems grow with observation. Now there are certain things that are easy for us to handle. And then there are others that are a great challenge to our faith. But the interesting thing is that the easy things to handle are usually those things that are easy for man to take care of. 
The difficult things to handle are the things that are difficult for man to handle. And where we almost throw up our hands in despair and say, it's too much, I can't do it, are, are the areas where it's almost impossible for man to do anything. Why do we carry that over to God, the, the degrees of difficulty? Why is it that with God we think, well, that, that's no problem for God? Oh, well, that's, that's a little hard, but, you know, I, I believe God can do it. And then, oh, no, you don't pray for things like that, you know. It's impossible. You know. We, we carry over the same kind of grading system with God that we have with man. Now, medical science has brought to us a lot of marvelous advances in uh, medical procedures as well as the various medicines or drugs that are now available. And things that were once serious operations with days in the hospital in recovery are now done in outpatient Clinics, gallbladder surgery. They now, with fiber optics and all, have so, pro, uh, so uh, perfected the techniques of gallbladder surgery that it's now an outpatient surgery. You go, and they'll make the two small incisions. They'll insert the little camera, and, and the doctor will go in with the instruments and cut and pull the, the, the gallbladder out through just a small little cut in your side, put a Band-Aid on it, and send you home. Well, they stoot you a little bit, but uh, (laughs) it's not the major thing. I mean, you don't have to stay in the hospital for several days anymore. They've really perfected uh, many of these surgical procedures. And it's marvelous. The, The way they can now put a new heart valve in, or uh, put a heart pacer in. These things are marvelous, and, and bypass heart surgery. Not the horrible, ooh, you know, critical thing anymore. It's become a, a very common procedure. And thus, if we have these kind of problems because of the way science has advanced as far as uh, medicines and all, Many of the uh, diseases and all that used to uh, be incurable, pneumonia used to be so deadly, and now we've got these miracle drugs that can knock down the uh, pneumonia, the oromycin and all, and, and we can just, you know, get rid of them without any real problem. A couple of days, you'll be over it. But there are other areas where medical science has not yet developed the cures. Cancer of the liver or things of this nature. So that if we go and we have a physical and the doctor comes back and he says, well, we have taken a biopsy and we find that it is cancerous and it's in a place where we really can't 
perform surgery. It's advanced so far, it seems to have gone through your system already, hit the lymph glands. and So we can give you chemotherapy and by strong dosages we might be able to extend your life for six months to a year, but can't give you much. We think, oh, no, oh. Doctors can't do anything? Ooh. Oh God, you know, and and it's it we 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 now carry it over. Well, doctors can't do anything. Surely God can't either, you know, because God's limited to man's knowledge and man's capacities. And why is it? You see, what happens is that when we get that kind of a prognosis, fear grips us. We we're now looking at the waves. We're looking at the boisterous wind. We're looking at the problem. And in looking at the problem, we lose sight of God and the greatness of God and the power of God. Looking at the boisterous wave, Peter lost sight of Jesus. He was still standing on the water, still doing the impossible. The lesson is keep your eyes on Jesus. Jesus said, why did you doubt? And the reason why he doubted was fear gripped his heart when he saw the boisterous wave. Looking to Jesus, he walked on the water. He did the impossible. Looking at the crashing seas, he sank. What should that teach you? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Looking at the boisterous wind, he was afraid. Faith and fear are mutually exclusive. Faith cancels fear. And fear cancels faith. And you're going to either walk in one or the other. In fear or in faith. If you walk in faith, it'll cancel the fear. And if you begin to get all fearful and all, it'll cancel the faith. As I look at Jesus, his power, he is God. He has created the whole universe. As I look at Jesus, my faith is increased. As I look at my problems, my fear is increased. What does that teach me? Keep my eyes on Jesus. As the writer of the book of Hebrews said, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He that hath begun a good work in you will continue to perform it as you keep your eyes on him. Looking unto Jesus, seeing his power, seeing his abilities, my faith will help me to walk on the water, to overcome every difficulty, and to be victorious.
So we pray. Father, we thank you for the lessons that we can learn through the mistakes and failures of others. We thank you, Father, for Peter so much. He's taught us so much about ourselves. We see a reflection of ourselves in him. And we realize, Lord, that though you used him mightily, yet, Lord, he was a man just like we are. He experienced the same kind of fears and anxieties. And so, Lord, teach us this day to keep our eyes on you. your glorious power, your majesty, your love. And for those, Lord, who feel they are sinking, help them to realize how close they are to help. Even as Peter cried, Lord, save me, and you reached out your hand. So may they this day cry, Lord, save me. And find your helping hand lifting them out of that sea of despair and problems. Bringing them safely into the ship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shall we stand? Very possible that many of you today feel like, I'm sinking, man. I'm going under. There's no hope. Oh, yes, there is. He's standing right there next to you, just waiting for you to cry out for help. Lord, save me. And he will. Encourage you to go back to the prayer room. Pastors and counselors will be back there. You can find God's help today. They came into the ship and the thing was calm. They were at the other side. And just that quickly, the Lord can deliver you out of your distresses as you call upon him. May the Lord be with you. May the Lord strengthen you. And above all, keep your eyes on Jesus. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Chuck Smith. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Chuck's teaching ministry by visiting pastorchuck.org.